Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw yeah. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rocket back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 23, Ghost Wolf, is returning guest, comic book artist, V. Ken Marion. Welcome back. Yo, what's up, man? So glad to be back. Thanks for having me. We purposely did not say anything to each other off mic about what we thought regarding this episode. So everything that the audience is going to hear is spontaneous and unrehearsed. If memory serves, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when we booked you for this episode, I don't think you had any memory of this particular one from watching as a kid. I feel like it was the title that really grabbed you, Ghost Wolf, which is a very strong, evocative title. It really pops. And my main question for you is, did the experience of watching the episode (laughs) (laughs) match your expectation of it? Well, let me preface that by saying I picked Ghost Wolf because I like, you know, like the the spooky kind of like stuff, like like supernatural TV show and like things like that that are like, you know, like spooky, but not like too scary, you know? And um and I and I always like these stories and Superman stuff where it's like he's doing something that is not it's like out of the norm. Like we talked about Smallville, like the vampire episodes or like just like those like weird, like, you know, like like things like Superman doesn't normally deal with stuff like this. So when I saw the tale of Ghost Wolf, I was like, oh, this is gonna be like a cool, like Sherlock Holmes kind of mystery thing. Like this will be really cool. And like, I, I had no memory. Like it's been 15 years since I've watched these. So I had zero memory of it. Popped it on this morning <laughs> and like, it starts in like the forest. I'm like, all right, this is, this is exactly what I was like hoping for. And then, then the episode starts to happen. And I'm like, Oh yeah, no, this is not exactly what I was hoping for. And then, but I did start remembering things about it as I was watching it from when I watched the last time. And it's like, yeah, okay. So it's okay. It's, it's, it's decent. It's not, it did not live up to my expectation though. The ghost, the ghost wolf part is not, is a, uh, it's underused. 
Yes, I that's that's I think that's fair. I appreciate you taking the hit and doing this one with me. I, I I'll get this out of the way. This was far from my favorite episode of the season. I think this might be one of our shorter podcast episodes because I only have so much to say. I, t- I take notes before we do these recordings and I, I have sort of my scene by scene breakdown that I kind of refer to as we go. And this is the shortest one. I, a good chunk of this episode is just stock footage. So yeah. 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 Well, dude, the opening when they're showing the lumberjack. So like it starts in Canada and like the the premise is these lumberjacks that provide the wood that's used for the paper for the daily planet are like leaving and they're not hitting their quotas. And like, there's a good like six minutes of just like the lumberjacks are cutting trees. (laughs) It's yeah. So let's, let's uh, set it up and then we'll unpack everything. So Season one, episode 23, February 20th, 1953, written by Dick Hamilton, directed by Lee Sholem. Uh, You already gave us most of the synopsis. Thank you. I'll, I'll read what I had put together. When reports of a werewolf and other mishaps interrupt operations at the Lone Pine Timber Company, which is owned by the Daily Planet and supplies, supplies the wood pulp used for its paper, Perry sends Lois, Clark, and Jimmy to investigate. So that's our setup for this episode. And... Just in terms of overall impressions, like I said, I was not particularly taken with this one, but I think I can pinpoint why. The stock footage in and of itself, I know we were kind of bagging on that. It's fine. I, I feel like when it's used sparingly, it can be effective and it's a way to help give scope to an episode that might not otherwise have it. You get to kind of feel like you're seeing the larger picture, even though it's not footage distinct to the show, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. This one felt like they relied on it a, a little bit much, but that in and of itself to me was not fatal to the episode. Uh, I, I think the, when we ultimately get to the motivation for everything that's been going on at the timber company, it didn't make any sense sense. to me. No sense. Yeah. And on top of that, this cuts both ways because the, I think the highlight for me for this episode was the use of Superman. He does a couple of things with his powers in this episode that I felt were, were clever and were different than what we typically see. So I actually thought Superman came off great in this episode, but I feel like it came at the expense of Lois and Clark and Jimmy. Like they really accomplished nothing essentially in this episode. Whereas I feel like normally as they're investigating they're yes, they always ultimately need a save. Right. But typically they're kind of, uh, you know, getting, getting close to the, <laughs> to the end goal before we get to that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, this episode, man, I, it's it's so hard because I'm having trouble even remembering most of it. And I watched it this morning, so it's it's like definitely um, very forgettable. I mean, like the whole ghost and ghost wolf. There, there is no ghost at all. They don't even like pretend there's a ghost. It's a werewolf. That they, they're they're saying is like which makes the title make absolutely no sense. But um, but yeah, like the idea that there's this werewolf like haunting, haunting quote the the, the timber the the mill and the last person that's there says he saw a woman. So that he saw a woman turn into the wolf. So he thinks it's a werewolf. So he's going to peace out. And then that's when Lois and Clark and Jimmy show up to investigate. And they think it's the guy who runs the mill. Who's the last guy there. But then dude, I, it's like, it's like then that the last, that guy who bailed at the beginning shows up again. Like I, it's, it's very confusing. Like why people are doing what they're doing. Yes. I, no, I don't mean to split hairs here, but I the one part of this episode, or I guess the second part of the episode that I did find interesting was just the setup of the Daily Planet's operation here. So 
as I understand it, as Perry was explaining, the Daily Planet owns this timber company, right? And they're chopping down the trees and they're generating this wood pulp that then goes to a mill, which perhaps the Daily Planet also owns? I, I don't know, but, or it, it's all on the same premises. I, I, that, that part I'm not entirely clear on, but th this is where they're running into the issues, right? At the timber company to create the wood pulp because the mill, I guess, is, the, you know, they don't, they don't have the wood pulp to make the paper that the Daily Planet needs. But the fact that the Daily Planet owns the Lone Pine Timber Company, and there's a, a bit about it in the dialogue in Perry's office where he's like, yeah, we bought it in 47. That part I found more intriguing, just like when you were on in, uh, for The Secret of Superman and we were talking about the press club that Perry White lives yeah. in. We, we've still never been able to figure that out. This too is, it was actually kind of brilliant to keep down the cost of papers. Like you buy the lumber company. I actually yeah. kind of brilliant. But I will say, Perry seems like the worst boss in the world. Like, what a dick. At the beginning, <laughs> the guy's like, we're losing all our men. And, you know, they're all scared. They're running scared. I'm the last guy here. And he's like, well, you better start delivering that paper in 10 days or, or else I'll find someone who will. Goodbye. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. And it's especially, especially because Perry is his boss. Like, it's not just that this is a company that they're using. And Perry's like, well, you have to figure it out or we'll find a different company. It's like, it's your company. This is ultimately yeah. your employee and he's voicing a concern. And I know Perry has no time for that, but that also feels in keeping with Perry's character in this show in particular. So I was like, all right, I, I wouldn't expect much more from him, especially that initial call. I know after the second call, he's, he's, I don't know if sympathetic is even the right word, but he at least comes away from that. And he's like, oh, Garvin seemed a little, a little scared. Like the connection was bad, but he might've been scared. So at least, at least Perry was picking up on something, even though, again, I don't think it really engendered much in the way of human empathy <laughs> yeah no it was it was it was a weird it this definitely felt like one of the the filler episodes for sure where they're like let's uh let's just bang something out really quick you know yes let's do a quick guest star rundown a couple of interesting things of note here so jane adams plays babette who we'll meet pretty deep into the episode here and she factors into what, what, what's really been going on and what the motivation for all of this is. But she's played by Jane Addams. And interestingly, she played Vicki Vale in the Batman and Robin movie serial. Oh, interesting. Did you ever, they did a couple of them. Did you ever see the, those Batman serials? I never did, no. Nor did I. I own them. And a couple of years ago when I bought the Kirk Allen movie serial, the, you know, the Kirk Allen Superman serial, I bought the Batman ones as well. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll watch them together. And honestly, it was hard enough getting through the Superman ones that I was, and from what I've heard, I think the Batman ones are even rougher. So I've, I've yeah. still never pulled the trigger on that, but I do own them at some point. I'll watch at least something of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my dad might have the, I mean, the costumes, I just know the, the visuals of it and they just look real janky, you know? So <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Even the Superman ones, I actually would be curious to hear from folks who, who listen to, to our adventures of Superman discussions, uh, you know, how the adventures of Superman folks feel about the Kirk Allen serials is obviously in a lot of ways paved the way for, for what would become this show. And I think, uh, you know, it, it deserves respect for that. And just for being the first live action depiction of Superman, but yeah, they were, when we did a whole thing on digging for kryptonite about it, but yeah, they were just a little tough to get through. But in any event, it was interesting no. to kind of see that in the, in the filmography of Jane Adams who played Babette. We also have Lou Krugman as Jacques Olivier. 
who was we just talked about a couple of episodes ago. He was in The Human Bomb. He played Conway. He was the guy who The Human Bomb made the bet with at the Metropolis Club at the beginning of the episode. I got to give this guy credit because I, I, I had to go back and look at Human Bomb. I was like, wait, that was the same guy? He really, uh, in terms of appearance and, and his performance, I feel like he really... That made them very distinct. So so much so oh, that I, nice. I had to double check. I was like, oh, is that actually the guy? And if the intention was that Jacques was just this unhinged lumberjack who lost his mind, <laughs> he, he nailed it. Because <laughs> I really feel like he had that crazed look at the end. <laughs> he definitely did. I mean, he had the crazed look in the first scene that he was in where he was like, like looking around his shoulders and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then Stanley Andrews as Sam Garvin, the foreman at this Lone Pine Timber Company, and he played the sheriff in Superman and the Mole Men, which we will be talking about in a couple of episodes as we conclude our season one coverage. So again, a couple of instances here of something we've seen multiple times before, actors who have been in multiple episodes. So just wanted to make note of that. All right. Again, I don't know that this is going to take us that long, but let's go scene by scene through Ghost Wolf. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. I timed it. So we have our opening sequence, our iconic, classic, beautiful, we love it, the opening to Adventures of Superman. And then from one minute, eight seconds, through two minutes and 40 seconds, we get stock footage of this lumber operation. So just over a minute and a half. Now, someone might be like, well, that's not long at all. It's an eternity in screen time. <laughs> like, it's so long. 
<laughs> well, yeah, because they, they show them like cutting the wood in different ways. Like some people are using saws, some people are using hatchets. They show the trees coming down. They show them like like um, like tying them up and like rolling the logs down into the river. Like a whole big a whole big thing. Yeah, educational, I guess. You know what I would have appreciated here? A little narration. I wouldn't have minded some narration here. We've only gotten it in a couple of episodes in this first season. Uh, we got it in Superman on Earth. We got it in Haunted Lighthouse. We're going to get it next time when we do Crime Wave. The very interesting episode. I'm excited to get to that in a couple of weeks because that's essentially a clip show, but not in the traditional sense. They really put, a, I think, an interesting spin on it. Uh, but in any event, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe a little narration here about how before the the news stories are printed on the Daily Planet paper. It starts as trees. I, like, I don't know, something. <laughs> something doing, doing like the Perry White kind of like rundown. Yeah. Yeah. But in any event, you get to see how, how not even how paper is made. We know we don't even get that far, but we just get the beginning part as we see this lumber operation. So that goes on for quite a while. And then I feel like the next segment of the episode for me, it got a little tedious. I feel like this back and forth, it felt like it took a while to really get into this here. It was just a lot of setup about what was going on and the back and forth. But I we've touched on this already, but Garvin calls Perry and expresses that, hey, I've lost a lot of men. And that's why we haven't been meeting our quota of wood pulp to the mill or whatever the case may yeah. be. And like you said, I mean, Perry really has no sympathy. He's just like, well, hire more men. And he gives him the timetable and that's sort of it. Yeah. And he's like, and he literally says the words, if you can't do it, I'll find someone who will. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I'm like a little harsh, dude. A little harsh. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not like he's slacking off, you know, he's, he's trying. It's just like, there's a ghost wolf haunting them up there. <laughs> yeah. So the next time we see the calendar pages, the, you know, kind of uh, flipping away there. And then I guess the final straw here is Jacques Olivier uh, out in the woods there face to face with a, you know, a, a timber wolf seemingly, but he's, he's shocked and he comes in and he quits and Garvin, you know, takes him to task. He's like, you know, uh, an ax wielding Canuck like yourself, like how, you know, how is, how is this scaring you? And Jacques has this whole story about how he trailed the wolf down for like hundreds of yards and the, 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 the wolf prints turned into into a, a woman's footprints. And so he's convinced that it's this mystical werewolf and and he's out. Yeah. The dog looked a lot like my my parents-in-law's dog, which that that made it made the episode better for me. Yeah, but Laura, Laura's parents and her sister have a dog that uh it looks very much like the the it looks just, it's just like a, a big German shepherd is what their their timber wolf looks like. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I know at the end of the episode, Jim makes a comment like, oh, just like a dog. It's like, yeah, you don't say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I guess in this episode, like we have a dog that's playing a wolf that's again, you know, allegedly a werewolf. And that's, and that's sort yeah. of our setup here. I, so I know there's reference made to, to Jacques being Canadian. I think that it's, or it's in Oregon though, the actual timber company. I feel like Perry says that when he's sending them off. Oh, I, I didn't clock that. I thought it was. I thought it was Canada, but that, maybe that's just me assuming. I think, but I don't. Uh, yeah. Don't don't hold me to that. But in any event, then we get the subsequent call to Perry and my last worker quit, and this report of a werewolf and and, and all of well, that. Yeah. I mean, the insanity that like 
that Jacques and what was the guy's name? The other, the guy that's in charge of the oh, Garvin, Sam Gar- Garvin, Garvin that, that Jacques and Garvin were holding it down by themselves, shipping off all that wood. Like that, that notion alone is like crazy. He's like, now that Jacques's gone, this is, this is at least only a, a two man, new two people can do this. But one can't do it. Like, <laughs> that's actually a really great point. Right. Cause isn't that, that is the situation. Is it not like he yeah, was the last, yeah. he was the last guy standing. Yeah, yeah. And Garvin doesn't really seem like he's like like mixing it up, cutting down trees. He seems like a like the way they present him in the show, he seems more of like an administrative type. Like he doesn't really seem like a you know, like the, the guy who's actually out there with the saw cutting the trees down. So if if Jacques is out there by himself, maybe that's why he quit. He's just like this I can't do this by myself. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe and then it becomes this question and, and we'll see hints of this throughout the episode. You wonder what what Garvin's involvement in this could be. And I feel like mm-hmm. there are a couple of points where they, the sh- episode seems to be leading you in one direction. And he, you know, he ends up being witless and innocent in all of this as, as we find out at the end, which I don't know is a good twist. I don't know. I mean, again, I feel like the episode was, was sort of leading you one way and then it just kind of went off in a different direction, but yeah, that's true. But, I mean, yeah, I guess it's a twist, but like, I did not expect Jacques to come back. Yeah, no. Yeah. But Perry calls in the crew, and again, this is when we get the backstory about how the Daily Planet bought the the Lone Pine Timber Company, and he says he's sending them all. Th- I always, I know, I always make reference to this, but I just, it's like, what are the expense accounts that they must have here? The budget to send three reporters, <laughs> three reporters across the country, and uh, so he's going to send them to investigate. And of course, Lois makes a remark about, you know, Perry talks about the flight being in less than an hour and Lois is like, I have nothing to wear. He makes a joke about, Oh, no woman ever does blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That reminded me of my grandma. That yeah. reminded me a lot of my grandma. The, the lowest in the show reminds me so much of my grandma, but like that comment alone, like, well, I've got nothing to wear. Cause it's like thinking she, she would always have to wear like outfits for like the situation she was in, you know? Nice. Well, <laughs> and then of course, so you get the implication seems to be all they're going there in is what they have on their backs. Yet, they have luggage when they arrive, and Lois and Jim both have changes of clothes and appropriate attire for being out in the wilderness. So that tracked, yeah. Uh, as opposed to Clark, who just as always, no matter where he is, the the jungles of Haiti or the <laughs> the yeah. wilderness, like it's just always just his his classic suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's like his disguise, right? That's like his like that's his Clark Kent costume, right? I guess that's why. <laughs> That first episode, Superman on Earth, it, it felt so wild to see him on the Kent farm just at the oh, very yeah, with beginning. Like flannel shirt and stuff, yeah. Yeah, because it's like you only ever see him in the suit or the Superman costume, at least in this first season. And I, I feel like that continues. Again, I've, I still haven't seen all of the color episodes, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe there's some more variety down the line, but I, I doubt it. But in Gosh, any event, like for this yeah. season, like that's really all you... All you ever see him in, so. Yeah. I mean, George Reeves, side note, George Reeves is a great Superman. He's so good in this. As both Clark and Superman, he is awesome. He's one of the best, for sure. He is. No, he he really is. Yeah. And actually, so kind of on that note, so th- the crew is off. We get more stock footage of plane and train as they're making their way to the lumber operation here. Uh, but then we get, I think, a really solidly executed Superman rescue where the train is going over this trestle that Clark can see with his x-ray vision has been sabotaged. It's been chopped away such yeah. that there's essentially no way the train will be able to make it across. And we get 
as Clark, this great reaction, like, great Scott. And you really, you really feel the urgency and the danger in his, in his voice and his reaction. And of course changes to Superman. And it's our typical stock footage of him flying, just superimposed on the, the wilderness background, but it's fine. It gets you there. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the shot of him holding up the trestle and the train goes by. I mean, what, what was your reaction to, to this action I, piece? That, well, it reminded me of the movie, the Christopher Reeve movie, when he like, when he stops the train and he like lays down and the train goes over him. Like it, it was very much like a similar thing. I was like, I wonder if that's where Richard Donner got it. Like, I wonder if he saw this as a kid and like that just stuck with him, you know, because like it very much reminded me of that. It was, it was a great, it was a great, uh, great Superman shot for sure. It really was. It's one of those things where, yes, I mean, I think it'd be easy for someone to look at it and and see the limitations of of the budget, of the technology of the time. But I feel like they did a great job with what they had to work with. And, you know, your imagination fills in the gaps. But yeah, we saw, and again, different yeah. than, I mean, I can't think of anything else in this first season, unless I'm totally blanking on something that's, you know, kind of in that category of that kind of save. And so, again, it was just a little different than what we, what we, what we had seen. And I appreciated the attempt. Like, I thought it was, it worked. Did they ever explain why the trestle was knocked out? Or were well, we just to assume that Jacques cut it down? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, I think that's yeah. the implication that he had, he had chopped away. I mean, it clearly looked like an, someone had taken an ax to it with what little was yeah. left. And so, yeah. Oh, that was the other thing. So when Perry is talking to the crew... He, you know, we get a little bit more exposition here where it's not just the report of the werewolf. There's also been machinery breakdowns and fires and things like that. So various acts of sabotage up at this, at this lumber company. So I I would put that, the trestle in that category as well. I'm assuming Jacques, Jacques was a busy man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just, he's just, yeah. Just taking it all apart. Right. (laughs) Which makes his motivation makes zero sense. We'll get to it in your, in your breakdown here, but it is. It's insane. Yeah. The listeners on the edge edge of their seat. (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious. Look, as always, audience reach out. I'm curious what you think of this episode of Adventures of Superman, especially if you haven't rewatched it, just what your memory of it is, if it's something that you remember fondly or not. I, I mean, I think for me, this kind of fell into the category. I really didn't remember a ton about it. Like I remembered, uh, here's the other thing too, why this episode was particularly disappointing because we're coming off of a run of Riddle of the Chinese Jade, Evil 3, Human Bomb, Czar of the Underworld. Like these were strong episodes. Like our last few discussions that we've had, I've, I've been very high on the episodes that we've discussed. So that's, that's the thing that I think makes this a little even more disheartening because it's like, oh man, you see how good this show can be. And this one just, I don't know, undercooked. It just did not Something wasn't yeah. wasn't coming together here. Um, one of the most insane things, not insane, but like things that I like actually kind of remembered from when I watched it was when they actually get there. I've, we'll get there in the breakdown, but yeah, we'll, we'll, let's keep going with the episode because there's something that I want to uh, talk about that I just find to be hilarious, like watching it again, you know, about the sleeping arrangements. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not so much the sleeping arrangements, which is like funny in and of itself, but like the fact that when they wake up in the middle of the night, I mean, have you ever been camping? Have you ever gone camping? Honestly, I can't say that I have. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I used to camp when I was a kid, like in like Cub Scouts and stuff. And like when you go camping and I've camped recently, like not recently, but like, you know, like teenage years with like my parents and stuff, like you don't have like a lot of like comforts with you right but like in this show when they wake up in the middle of the night 
Clark and Jimmy have like smoking jackets, like 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 robes, like robes and smoking jackets and slippers. I, I just thought it was like the funniest thing. Like, like it's like what? <laughs> like, <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, are we? I, I assume that they brought their own. You know, they brought their own stuff. I mean, they were, We know that they're staying in the bunks that the lumberjacks used to used to sleep yeah. in. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's 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 a funny aspect of it. But, you know, the scene when they first arrive and they're talking with Garvin, it's just, again, a lot of setup about what might be going on. My The only thing that really stood out to me that I actually, actually really did love this because it's in line with this badass Clark Kent 1950s version mm. that I love so much when yeah. uh, when Lois after Garvin leaves and Lois says something like, you know, what if he's not telling us everything or something? And Clark is like, we'll dig it out the hard way. Yeah. And it's like. Again, I love this version of Clark, but then it's also like, how does anyone think he's this weak? Not, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, well, they don't. They, they, the, this this version of Clark is not seen as like a weak, meek character at all. Like he's not. He's like a very like he's like the alpha of the show, right? And it's like just people just 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 don't put it together that he's super. They just think they're two different people. They just think the idea that he's Superman is just preposterous, you know. The thing is, though, there are numerous instances, Lois in particular, but also Perry gets some digs in as well in various episodes about Clark. So there is yeah. this sentiment of, of you know, Clark's going to run away at the nearest sign of danger. Yet, as I've pointed out on multiple episodes, despite this sentiment that's expressed numerous times, whenever someone's in danger, Clark's always the first person they call for, like in the human bomb yeah. very recently when the human bomb is in Lois's office and she calls out for help. The first thing she says is like, get Clark Kent. So it's this weird disconnect and I, I really can't reconcile that in the show because again, it seems like they are dismissive of him to an extent yet at the same time, yeah. he's always the first one that they call for. So, you know what, dude, like I kind of dig this version of Clark. Like I, I feel like we've had enough of the, the meek mild Clark. Like I kind of want the next Superman movie to be like this kind of like, like I just, just, Go for it, you know, just like just make him like super badass, you know. <laughs> oh, I love this. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love this depiction, and I, yeah, I think that would be. I mean, that's. The, I mean, this is a whole other conversation about the movies, but, but since we are getting a new iteration of the character on screen, I definitely hope that it shows more of him as Clark. Right. As much as I enjoyed the mm-hmm. Snyder movies, you only got so much of him as Clark the reporter. Thankfully, if you watch yeah. the extended edition of BVS, you get more of that. But even still, like you don't get a ton. So more of him as Clark in this new version, I would love. And I, I agree. I If they take some inspiration from this George Reeves model, I think that would be actually pretty refreshing. I, I think there's something about it that's that's really, really effective. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Like. It's funny, I feel like, because he's not Superman a lot in the show. Like, not this episode in particular, but, like, just in general. Like, he kind of only shows up in the costume for, like, the big, impactful fights and moments. And it kind of works. Like, I mean, especially for TV, because, like, I feel like Lois and Clark did a similar thing. And Superman and Lois probably shows the most of Superman of, like, of all the TV shows. But even there, like, he's still, like, in the costume less than he is as Clark, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are, again, this also a separate uh, separate episode, which I did on Digging for Krypton. I don't know how people listen, but yeah, season three of Superman and Lois, without it spoiling anything, there's at least one episode where Superman doesn't appear at all and other episodes yeah. where it's, it's exceedingly minimal. So yeah, I think if you build up Clark properly, you don't need as much Superman. But when, yeah, yeah. if, and look, this is not a knock on the Donner movies. We, we love them, but it's like if if your Clark is built only to be a disguise, 
then yeah. you can kind of only do so much with the character. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I love, man, I love this take on, on him. So as the next scene is when we, we get into the sleeping arrangements here where of course Lois is going to be staying where, uh, I forget the, 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 the person who had occupied it previously, the timekeeper. It was like, a, it was like the, like equivalent of like the foreman or something. It was something of that. Someone that was like, Someone that was important enough to have their own like cabin. Yeah, they're a little private yeah. residence. So Lois has her own space, and then Clark and Jim are going to be in the the, the old lumberjack bunk that's now empty because everyone's left. Uh, and again, it's and of course this will come back in a moment here. So Lois, they all go to sleep, and then we have the wolf in Lois's window. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the one thing I will give this. Not the only thing, but one one other thing I will give the episode credit for is I feel like, you know, you don't know exactly where this is going. And based on the rest of the season, you really wouldn't expect it to be a supernatural episode. But mm. at the same time, you don't know. They could go in that direction. And I feel like in terms of how they show you the the wolf and the shadow of the woman, it's like you you don't <laughs> know. I felt like they 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 staged it in an interesting way where it leads you to believe like it could potentially be this woman who's transforming into a werewolf. So like they kept yeah. enough ambiguity there where you wonder, okay, where, where are we going with this? Yeah. Like if you were a kid in 1953, you'd be like, Oh my God, it's a werewolf, you know? Yeah. The yeah, I can see ghost, that. Yeah. The ghost wolf. The ghost wolf. It's the ghost wolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she like, she's, this is when she screams and wakes everybody up and, and Clark comes running in his like, like like uh hugh hefner like robe and pajamas and which which i think is just like so funny like the the concept of like 1950s television pajamas in general is like so funny to me because like i don't know i, I sleep in like basketball shorts and a t-shirt you know it's like i the idea of having like formal sleeping wear is like crazy like it must be so hot you know <laughs> so hot and sweaty like oh man I know. I know. It is, it is pretty wild. Uh, you know, we'll chalk it up to the, to the times, but, but then the, again, the sleeping arrangements come back because Lois starts packing up. She's like, I'm going to stay with you guys. And Clark is like so offended at this notion. He's like, but Lois, that's the men's bunk. Uh, again, <laughs> I, you know, a very different time, but I was glad that Lois stood her ground and she's like, you know, there's plenty of room. You guys can sleep on one yeah. and I'll sleep on the other, but. Which I'm imagining the bunk to be like, like, it's probably not this big, but in my head it was like as big as like a target. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's like this massive, like, you know, like it's like massive warehouse essentially, you know? Like, well, cause it has, they put a number on it. Was it 120 guys you see yeah. there or something? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It's again, a sign of the times that, and, and look, we, we know on television, right. It used to be the case. You couldn't see even a married couple in the same bed. Right. So you oh, have yeah, to have like I love Lucy. Yeah. 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 I'm sleeping in separate beds and it's, and it's ridiculous. And it's like, well, what, what are we doing here? But you know, so I, I guess that, that part tracks it also, of course, it calls to mind. And I, I'm sure we mentioned it on one of these episodes at some point, but you know, the famous Kellogg's commercial where the initial conception was that Lois and Clark would be eating cereal, but that was nixed because it was felt, well, if they're having breakfast together, the implication is they spent the night. Right. So he wasn't allowed to have breakfast with Lois and instead he had breakfast with Jim Olsen and nobody seems to have any, <laughs> any qualms about that. So it's just like, what, again, it's just like, what are, what are we what, doing what, here? Was it him as Clark or him as Superman? Clark. Why could they be like in the daily planet eating the cereal? 
Why couldn't they? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Do they not have a break room where they where they might yeah, have some yeah. snacks or breakfast? I don't know. Well, Anthony, you can't be eating cereal at work. That's for lunch. Cereal's for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, though? In fairness, do you think Perry White would stock the break room with cereal for the staff? I don't. So that part actually Yeah, tracks. probably not. Yeah, yeah. Could you just imagine it's right? You should eat your breakfast at home before you come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not paying you to eat. We're paying you to work. Meanwhile, he's in the in the Daily Planet press club, probably having uh, you know eggs and pancakes and bacon yeah. and all sorts of stuff sent up to his room. Yeah, yeah at midnight, a sandwich <laughs> sent up to his room at oh, two o'clock in the morning or whatever. And I want it now. <laughs> it's all snack. That was so funny. I'll never know what he was doing up that late. Didn't seem to be any breaking news. Uh, that'll haunt me. I think that'll haunt me throughout the whole run of this show. Is why was he up in the middle of the night ordering a coffee and sandwich? Yeah, when nothing yeah. seemed to be going on. He's just a night owl, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, where oh, are boy. we in this episode here? So, all right, we have the the whole business with the wolf in the window. And then, my goodness, the next day, poor Lois. She gets up. She wants to freshen up, goes down to the stream. And what does she encounter again? The wolf. Let's add another <laughs> one of those classic screams and faints. I mean, she really, she they put her through the ringer in this one. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't really have much to say on that one. It's pretty much, you <laughs> pretty much encapsulated all of it right there. The, uh, the, so in this next bit, so she screams, right? And then Clark talks to Garvin and Garvin points Clark in her direction and, and Clark goes off. Then Jim comes and Jim's like, what's going on? And Garvin explains, Lois fainted, but Clark's going. And then Jim goes off and Garvin's like, I don't think they need me. And it was such an awkward beat. And again, I feel like that's, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like that was another instance where the show is kind of like leading you to believe something is up with Garvin. That just that line, yeah. like, I don't think they need me as he, as he tells Jim, it's like, I, I, I don't know. It's just like, he, it, it's like, he's making this point that he doesn't want to get involved. So I don't know. Again, I feel like they were setting, it felt like they were setting something up that they ultimately weren't. Yeah. So the, this yeah. next scene to me, I don't know how you felt. This felt forced where Clark wants to go off to investigate on his own, right? As he typically does. And he and Lois are butting mm -hmm. heads over this. And she's like, you know, who put you in charge giving us orders? He's like, I'm not giving orders. I'm just asking. And then he goes off and then Lois ropes Jim into helping. It was fine. I don't mean to nitpick, but it's, it, I don't know that whole, that conflict between them of Clark wanting to go and Lois and not Lois not wanting to stay. I don't know. It just felt, it felt kind of forced here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's like, it's definitely like the formula that they're trying to like get, you know, Clark off on his own. The guy give him a reason to be able to turn into Superman, which like when Superman shows up at that point, they have to put it together that he's Superman, right? Like they have to. <laughs> I mean, this, ep I mean, you know, that's the other thing. This episode is particularly egregious where they're out here in Oregon or Canada or something. And they're off yeah. in the wilderness here. And Superman shows up. I, I, I mean, how, how <laughs> I know we have and to have the suspension of, of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. This version of Superman does not have like the omnipotent hearing either. Like he, this is like, like normal guy, Superman, you know, this is like, he's strong and fast. Like I honestly, is he even that fast? No. This Superman? No. Like, he doesn't have super speed, right? No. no. We talked about this. We did very recently, the riddle of the Chinese Jade and, 
And not that I hadn't ever pondered it, but it was really kind of in your face in this episode where the bad guy is leading Lois away down the street at a certain point and Superman sees and just runs. Like he's like just running and chasing after them at a normal human speed. And it's just, you realize, yeah. oh yeah, you know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have super, super speed. speed. So yeah. yeah, he's really, he flies and he's strong and he's got the x-ray vision and he does have the hearing, which we've seen him use on occasion, but but it's not like it's not like no, it's not like he hovering over it. the earth no. and hearing everybody. It's like something. It's like it's like I don't know. Like what's an animal? Like 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 how a cat has like enhanced hearing, like something like that. It's not like yeah, it's well, not like god power hearing. Well, it's like we go back to the stolen costume and that classic ending where he leaves the bad guys on the top of that mountain. He's like, "Don't climb down," and then he flies <laughs> off, and you 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 wonder to yourself. Does he hear them as they're starting to <laughs> climb down? And he's just like, yeah, I told them <laughs> it's their problem. I mean, or, yeah. or, or can he not hear? We'll, we'll go with the latter, but, uh, but yeah, I know this episode really, it, this really requires a, a major suspension of disbelief, even more so than normal that people aren't piecing <laughs> this together, but I still stand by my theory that they all just know. And they're, they're just cool about it. They're like, ah, we'll go along with it with this guy. I feel like they, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just, just going along with it. Like, especially Lois and Jimmy, I feel like. Maybe not Perry, because I feel like Perry doesn't, like, interact with them enough. But. Yeah. And again, I, I know that the show, that's not what the show says. I get that. But I just, my my headcanon, uh, that's that's what I kind of <laughs> subscribe to. <laughs> All right. So Jacques returns now, and he sets fire to the woods. Insert stock footage here. So it's, it's instantly becomes like a raging inferno. Uh, it's it's wild. I mean, it's just this out was, of control I, fire. I did not understand why he was setting fire to the woods. I was like, wait, what is he trying to start a forest fire? And then when it cut to the raging footage, I was like, oh, he was. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, totally was. So, all right, let me go through this real quick. Cause then we got to talk about the, the Jacques and the motivation. What, what, what the hell this was all about. So he sets fire. We got all the stock footage. Uh, we have this little bit of, Lois and Jim, you know, trying to escape and Lois falls and Jim is picking her up. I swear Jack Larson is breaking in that scene where he's telling her to get up and I rewound yeah. it and I played it again. And it really looks like he's laughing as he's telling her, come on, Lois, we got to go. If you, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that was a funny, a funny little bit here. So, so then we have. Uh, this convergence uh first Garvin gets hit in the back of the head by, by Jacques, but then we get this convergence of, of Babette, the woman who's controlling the wolf, uh, Jacques and Garvin. And the, the best explanation that this episode can muster for all of this is that Babette has come to believe because of what Jacques has told her that her father, well, her father, the backstory is that her father had previously owned this, this timber company. Right. Yeah. And Jacques belief seemingly and what he has <laughs> conveyed to Babette is that after the father died, Garvin just like took over everything and took the money that was meant to go to the daughter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Garvin instantly explains, no, no, he died. <laughs> he died at this hospital and he, all of the money went into a trust that I set up for you. And I, I mean, I don't know really what to make of this because I don't know. Everyone just accepts that. They're like, she's like, oh, okay. How could I have been so stupid? Like, 
yeah, I, 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 and I'm stumbling over this because I'm still trying to figure out exactly how. Also, yeah. isn't the Daily Planet own the mill? Like, like this, this thing that, like, <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, I know. I don't know how that how that exactly fits into all of this, but it's it's just I don't know. I'm trying to piece this together. I don't know how Babette was so in the dark about all of this because it doesn't seem like it was necessarily a secret. Jacques. Also, I don't understand why he was, unless he really is just crazy. And he certainly has this crazed look on his face. So maybe we just chalk it up to that. And Garvin asked, like, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, Babetan is supposed to marry me and then it'll be half mine, right? Oh, I, I thought it was that he said, she, I, I, th- I thought he said that Babette said she would marry me if I could get her all this money. Oh, that's that 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 was that's where that's where it got that's where I got super confused. Maybe maybe I misheard it, but like it seemed to me that he was doing all this because Babette told him that she'd marry him if he did all these things. But then she says that he's the one who told her about all this. So, so it just it it was just very wire, wire crossing. I like your I like your explanation that he's just like this unhinged lumberjack that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, again, I, and I know we're talking about a, a different era and information was not nearly as readily available as as we have everything at our fingertips today, but it just seems like the circumstances of her father's death and the handling of the money c- could could have been checked in some way. I, I, I don't know how they, how they went so far astray and... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, my my reading of it, and I, maybe I misheard or misunderstood something, but yeah, I mean, it it seemed like he was like Jacques was the one who just like was the instigator in all of this, and <laughs> he probably was. Yeah, I probably misheard that, but like he definitely said that he was going to marry her, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but so I I just don't, and that's why I say I don't know. Was he just crazy? It's like why? I guess my question is why would he think that Garvin was nefarious and had withheld or stolen money that was meant to go to the daughter what there doesn't really seem to be any regardless of which one even going back to what you were saying before regardless of which one i I don't understand why where the basis for that belief would even come (laughs) from there is no there's no yeah there's no explanation for that at all and then what was the plan here i guess just to sabotage the company into into closing just for a pure revenge I, I guess like I don't get how that would get her her money back, you know, but like the thing I keep going back to is like he says, no, I set this trust for you. And she's just like, OK, you're a good guy. OK, it's like, wait, wait, but like, OK, so this trust exists, but you don't have you still don't have access to it. Like, you know, it's like. Well, I know. And then it's also, too, it's like, OK, you set this up. Did you ever tell her there, again? Clearly, there's been a massive breakdown yeah. in communications here on all sides, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's why I'm saying this just did not track. I guess it was a surprise that, that Garvin was clear in all of this, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I feel like the first time I watched this a few years ago, I was, I was perplexed by this as well. And so similarly here, as we're talking about it, it just, uh, I it just don't feel like it adds up. <laughs> This is just reminding me of when last episode when we talked about Ghost Wolf and you're like, the next one you're on is Ghost Wolf. I'm like, all right, it'll be like a a cool, spooky Halloween one. You're like, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> because if you knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember all the details, but I remembered enough where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It uh, this does give us though uh, again I think a very cool moment for Superman here he makes it rain to put out the fire. Okay, that that was preposterous. That was insane. How he makes it rain? Like I I, I I'm so glad you brought this up because I totally forgot about this. And when I was watching it, I was like, wait, what? Like I think in the 1950s they thought that if you created lightning, you created rain and like that. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, he asks (laughs) for a wire for wiring. They have this telephone cable and he flies this up into the clouds and look, you only see so much of it, but they, again, I think they did as as best they could. And yes, the idea is that it's going to attract the lightning and that's going to make it rain. He gives an explanation for it. And which makes sense. And that's the thing. I, I, I can live with that. I felt like, all right, they at least, whether it was just something they came up with or it was the common, you know, the belief at the time, whatever the case may be, they had an, they had an explanation for it and he did it and it worked. I, I again, he, he brought a string up into the clouds, which somehow <laughs> by doing that created lightning, which would then in turn create rain. It's preposterous. I think I was just so happy to be out of the episode that I just went along with it. I was like, okay, it's making it rain. He could do that. Yeah. Again, though, science aside, just like with holding up the Tressla, it was just a different way of him saving the day of using his powers. And I think that's the aspect of it that I appreciated where it's funny too, because when he, there's a, a moment that I skipped over where he finds Lois and Jim and he wraps his cape around them. And that was that was cool, but then we just dissolved to the aftermath where he's already rescued them. Because in that moment, I was like, yeah. again, this isn't a Superman who ha- appears to have super super breath. So I was like, oh, what is he going to do to get them out of this? We don't see it. <laughs> so, yeah. so again, I appreciated the, the the making it rain bit, even if it doesn't add up scientifically. Yeah. I mean, and you get a cool George Reeves taken off like forward. Yeah. which is rare. Usually he's jumping off to the side of the trailer. This is one where they like actually lifted him off the ground, like going toward the camera, which is pretty cool. I believe I, one of the trivia notes I read about this, that he, that he had fallen in one of these, one of these scenes off of, off of one of the wires. So again, as we know, we, right. We typically, as they move forward, they didn't do these kinds of, of takeoffs and landings. Uh, and he was just always, you know, either swinging in or, or jumping on the mm-hmm. springboard to leave. But uh, but yeah, no, it was cool. It was definitely cool to see. And so this leads to our little wrap up here where, uh, again, Jim, Lois, Garvin, Babette, the wolf, they're all in the in the cabin there. And Jim's talking about, oh, it looks like a big dog. I've been a little hard on the show this first season for the buttons, for these little these little line, one-liners at the end of the episode, because I feel like a lot of times they, they feel kind of clunky and and it just doesn't feel like an organic out to the episode. I have to say, though, I liked in this one, where Lois is talking about Superman making it rain and Clark's the little button for this one. He's like, oh, too bad we can't get him to make it stop raining. And I thought that was great. Like it was funny and and was relevant to the episode because sometimes some of these lines at the end, it's just like, where, where, is, this, where is this coming from? So I like, <laughs> I actually like this one. This felt like an appropriate button to this episode. Yeah, no, it was a good one. It showed that like swagger that this Clark has, you know? Yes. Tough, cool guy, Clark. 
and that was Ghost Wolf. I really, I again, I, I was, I did not enjoy this one. I, uh, for any, for any folks out there who love this, that's great. I, I wish I shared that, and I would love to hear from you and you know tell me why you liked it. Maybe uh, in the future I'll give it another spin. But this was definitely one of the weaker ones for me for season one. Yeah, I mean, as much as we've been like kind of bagging on it, like I, it did bring me back to that like feeling of childhood that I had, like watching like a night with my parents, like cause the black and white, I mean, I'm always a sucker for like the black and white, like sitcoms, like love like the fifties. Cause it just, you know, brings me back to that time when being a kid. So like, yeah, remind me of Nick and Knight. And so like that aspect of it, like, and George Reeves, awesome, awesome Superman. So like, it's not like we're, we're, you know, we're, we're poking fun, but it was still like, I still had fun watching it. Like it was still a good time, you know? Yeah. I, I think, this has come up in other episodes too. I think because I'm watching all of these together in a row and discussing them at, at such length, I, I think it, it has made me, it's made me more appreciative of how good the show can be. But I think, yes, it has also made me a little bit more critical because I think if I were watching this in a vacuum, right. And I hadn't watched it in a long time. I think I would just be so happy to be back in that world that yeah. I, I would yeah. get a little bit more caught up in it. But in this case where I've watched four i think that way i would say we're really strong ones in a row and then i hit this yeah. and like i said i think there were some good moments here there truly were some good moments the train save the making it rain science aside the we'll dig it out the hard way the the one-liner at the mm-hmm. end and just again the i remain fascinated by the economics of the daily planet and its operation and the fact that it owns the lumber company i that that all oh, that was interesting to me but the rest of it, it just didn't come together the way most of them usually do yeah. All right, we have to rate it now. Uh, on a scale of one to five fedoras, Ken, how many would you give this one? I'd give it a two. Okay. That's fair. I'd give it a two. I would give, but my rating system, I would give The Haunted Lighthouse like a four. I, you know, it, I, I really like The Haunted Lighthouse. It's funny. What did I give The Haunted Lighthouse? A two or a two and a half? You probably gave it something really low. You don't like that one, yeah. But my, Mo, I, it's funny because I, I had come around a lot on it, even in that recording based on versus the first time I had seen it. Right. It came around a lot on it at that point. And then as we've watched more episodes, I've really come to appreciate it even more. I think if I were to re-rate the haunted lighthouse, I would go at least a three, if not three and a half. I, I, my, my opinion of that one has shot up a lot. Yeah. Sadly for ghost wolf, I go one and a half, which might seem kind of harsh, but I, this, I really, this one really didn't do it for me. So I'm going to go one and a half, which is definitely one of the lower ratings I've given. What about on the Rosenbaum rating system? What do you give it? <laughs> yeah. The Rosenbaum uh, rating system from Talkville. It's, I, I think it would even be below. It would probably, it would be below a heater. It would be below a heater. I think it would probably be a bomb. I, I would give it a, I would give it a heater probably. Yeah. <laughs> if we follow if we follow the talkville rating logic uh, you know tom welling's test is always would you give this could you give this episode to someone who's never seen the show and and they would get what the show's about and rosenbaum's is always nothing's ever as good as the pilot that's basically yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. that's basically his thing yeah all right folks there you have it so ken where would you like to direct folks if they want to check out you and your work yeah check me out at at V Ken Marion on Instagram and at VK Marion on Twitter. And uh, yeah, and check out what I'm working on. Um, Death Shroud is on uh, Indiegogo. I think it's an in demand on Indiegogo right now, issue two and one. And I just did issue seven and eight of Vanish. 
um, for Image Comics, for Ryan Segman's KLC Press, his book. So they're both available now. Go check those out. And I've been working on my own creator-owned book, which hopefully I'll be able to talk about pretty soon. So stay tuned for all that fun stuff that we'll be hopefully talking about in the next couple months. Very nice. Well, I hope everyone will will follow the directions you just gave. I hope you'll check out Ken's work, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I appreciate it. Ken, I look forward to having you back for season two. We'll pick out some some fun episodes for you to do when the time comes. And audience, make sure you come back in two weeks for Crime Wave, which is essentially the the end of season one. We, of course, still have Superman and the Mole Men, but that's kind of its own its own category here. So we've we've we're, we're really nearing the end here of our first season discussion. It's in some ways it feels like because it has been like a year of recording uh, and, and, and releases. So in some ways it, it feels like that, but in other ways it, I feel like it's flown by. So in any event, make sure you come back in two weeks. Thank you as always for tuning in. Adventures await. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.